Phil, welcome back to the program. When you see these moves in some of these companies, despite incredible numbers, is it just a run-of-the-mill profit-taking session and we shouldn't think twice? Or is there something more nefarious at work here when these companies can't rally on these figures? Well, you, you may have some points, uh, Oliver, and I love your hypothesis around Bitcoin and, and the broader market. <laughs> Thank you. Continue to follow your commentary about that, which I, I find fascinating. Appreciate that. Uh, one of the, when, when I hear language about the markets right now, one of the things I would recommend is, is zooming out just a little bit because what is, what's happening is it's being framed as sort of like, is this the beginning of the end? And then the end might be just something, you know, calamitous like 50%. And I, I go back a lot to, to the late 90s because we were managing assets then and watching that all play out. And, and, and believe me, it, it was amazing to see. But instead of it being just sort of like it went for a while and then it ended, um, that happened like three or four times. So think of this as, as the first spurt higher, which was enormous from the lows back in March up to what we saw uh, earlier this year. And then we had a downturn of around 10%. And so, you know, there's weakness right now, but it could play out a couple of different ways. Uh, we could either catch a trend and move higher and, and just, uh, as, as some people have been talking about lately, crash up or continue to crash up, or we could move lower. But just because we move lower here doesn't mean it's the end. We could move down 10% or 20%. And, and during the internet bubble, what would happen is these 10 or 20% declines would turn into the training for investors that you buy the bottom and that would continue over and over again until it didn't. So it, it's really hard to tell, but you know, it, to, to me, it feels like we could still rally higher, especially with GDP numbers and everything just looking so creating so much optimism in the, in the real market, real economy. So Phil, you're using uh, the dot-com era as, as the framework though, nonetheless, it seems like, um, and what to you will tell us if this spurt higher has run out of steam. I mean, we're getting the GDP figures. It feels like we got everything we could possibly ask for this week. Six and a half percent of GDP, the most dovish Fed chair in history, the most eager to spend president in a generation. And, uh, you know, we're just stuck here. So uh, is this telling us that we're running out of steam for the moment? All of our patience, patience. Uh, the GDP report just came out today uh, or, or yesterday. I can't recall which one. So. Um, you know, these things kind of evolve over time. And so even though it seems like we have a lull right now, we could wake up and tomorrow the futures could be up over a percent. We could just be risk on again. Um, you know, if you look back, if you do look back to the 90s, uh, one thing that happened that we haven't seen yet in the stock market uh, is, is we, back in, in, especially in 99, you're looking at three to 4% moves every day. And it was a brutal market for traders because they try to, catch a trade up and then it would go up for two or three days and it would move down. So we didn't see anywhere near that kind of like any kind of daily volatility that we saw in the late 90s. But you know, you always like to bring up Bitcoin and Bitcoin, and I think it's really appropriate is that in addition to that whole stock market bubble, which we all know we're in, you've got this bizarro land, uh, like uh, crypto NFT world, which is creating its own like bubble that is going to potentially aid everything else. So that's one of the things that's really different is that Dot-coms, it was just craziness in stock pricing. Now it's it's maybe high, highly priced stocks, but then bizarro world yeah. uh, along with it. And how does that work into the way you view asset management? And how does that work into the way you think about 
what to own right now, right? Because at the end of the day, people still have a lot of money floating around and they wouldn't put it in something. And uh, shorts uh, obviously are very difficult to trade. I mean, even if you hit BTC on the way down, it snaps back so fast that uh, you had to be a very acute, nimble trader. As we were just talking in the stock market, buying puts hasn't done anything for you. Maybe selling calls if you're far enough out in strike work. So what strategy yeah. makes sense, Phil? Yeah, so so we have a we have a pretty clear prescription for this, and 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 so that's what you need. You need something like okay, well let's let's think about all the different possibilities, all the different scenarios can play out. You've got the rally higher, you've got the collapse, you've got anything in between. And so our pretty consistent recommendation is to have a behavioral portfolio where you have half your equities in just low cost indices, but the other half in in hedged equity funds that can that have the ability to potentially uncorrelate from the market. And if you do that then right now, uh, many of these hedged equity funds, like the ones we run, are fully invested. So you're just with the market and you, you, you're sort of, you're not out there selling out or shorting and, and hoping things go badly. You're actually hoping that things continue to go well. But if you have this approach then and half of your, fully half of your portfolio is able to go defensive and go on the sidelines, uh, then uh, that part of the portfolio would benefit from a decline. And so now you're just playing both games, but you're not having to make the call and, and look, you know, especially if you look at what happened after last March, and virtually no one made the call. We certainly didn't. You were going to rally like crazy from there. And and even though things seem so optimistic right now, we could see the reverse. We could see a huge move lower, uh, despite all this great news that's coming out. Um, so it's it's that's the key, Oliver. Is that don't make the call. Create a a, pl a plan or a portfolio that prevents you from 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 doing that. Will the traditional bond stock uh, portfolio of 60-40 work? Um, I do see that today we are getting a kind of a quicker bid into bonds. That to me does look a little bit different than February, March, where you know we had to go down 2% in the NASDAQ for people to come in and, and buy treasuries on a down day in February. But today bonds did find some buyers a little bit more quickly. Will that traditional relationship work or do you have to have some alternatives to bonds in the portfolio? Yeah, so we like to talk a lot about the Great Depression and how after the stock market went down for 13 years or so and bonds did extremely well, then it changed, changed the course and bonds did very horribly and stocks did well. Uh, unfortunately, uh, right now, both asset classes are in real jeopardy. So if you're a market historian and, and you base, make your decisions scientifically, the five-year you know, five prognosis for stock on the S&P 500 right now based on historical returns is a 0% annual return for five years. Bonds, because yields lower than they've been at any point historically before what we saw over the last year, are also perilous. So a conventional portfolio is a way to just feel comfortable that you're you're doing what Nobel laureates have, have said we should do for years, but expect to get uh, blown to pieces. <laughs> now, Phil, uh, what about on the inflationary side? I mean, uh, is it uh, prudent to have uh, banks or commodities is a particularly heavier weight. Do you have those type of, of fundamental macro views that show up in your funds? So we don't. We're, we're uh, algo traders across all of, all of our platform, with the exception that some of our things do options hedging uh, as a way of attempting to, to tackle risk. Mm. Um, the, the inflation question is, 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 all, is equally fascinating as, is thing, as are things like crypto. And I think that you know, inflation, if it really starts to take off, uh, is, is a potential problem. But just as crypto is not a real currency, um, you know, I worry a lot about, and this, go, this sounds like it goes off into sort of conspiracy world, but, but you know, people realizing that currencies also maybe are not 
as valid as we think they are. And so, uh, you know, I worry a lot about global debt and the possibility of something bigger than what we're uh, thinking about in terms of inflation. And even and so that for that, then the prescription for that is also similarly have some kind of adaptive fixed income prod, uh, products that include uh, potentially the ability to go into tips, uh, potentially the ability to go into commodities or other types of things to be in fixed income, but address contingencies the way you do it. Mm, okay, so in terms of the big picture kind of fundamental view, there are some things uh, that uh, you might worry about in a long term, but the way you invest right now and work with strategies uh, from more an algorithmic and uh, hedging standpoint. So with VIX at 17 and a half, do we consider that low or high? Uh, because based on the past year, it's pretty darn low. It almost looks like a steal. Yeah. Yeah, so for, for people that are doing some options selling strategies that are well thought out, uh, it's been a more profitable environment clearly for the last year than would be normal times. And uh, yeah, we have seen VIX move below 20 now. And I think if, if, you're, if you're making the bull case for the markets uh, to have VIX start to move down into a, you know, the 10, a 10 to 15 range, as well as the economic numbers coming in well and, and the Fed remaining dovish, I think it helps the case that, that VIX starts to VIX starts to come in. What's fascinating, Oliver, is that uh, you know you, you'd, VIX is the lowest when the market has the most risk. Now that changed slightly in '99, where VIX, even though the market was still elevated, was moving back up in the range of 20 again. But certainly in 2007, you know when VIX was bumping around 10 or 11, uh, that was you know it was a lot of risk in the markets there. Uh, and may, maybe maybe if Bitcoin goes even crazier, and you know we've got a total crypto. Valuation of four, five, ten, ten trillion instead of two trillion, um, that could create some risks there where maybe VIX would stay low. But but the great thing is for people that are thoughtful is that that when it's when it's least expensive to hedge, that's when it's most necessary and potentially most profitable. 